Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. We'll be in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. We'll go through chapter 5, verse 1 tonight. The title of this evening's message is No Two Ways About It. No Two Ways About It. I am keenly aware that this message stands between you and cake. I kept that in mind while I was preparing this message. And so if you will do me a huge favor and listen as quickly as I preach, we'll be back there eating cake before you know it. So Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And tonight uh, we move into a very complex piece of scripture in the book of Galatians if you just read through it and not dig in just a little bit. You're going to see what I'm talking about when we, when we read through it. Some uh, scholars have even said this is the most difficult piece of text in the entire New Testament. I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with that assessment, but in the text it talks about a free woman and a promise and a, and a bondwoman of the flesh, and uh, it uses words like uh, allegory, and we're going to attempt to just dive in a little bit uh, to this text. We're going to try not to get lost in all the shuffle and all the confusion and not get stuck on some of those things and try to see why did Paul put this in his letter to the Galatians, because that's really what we're trying to, to, to dig in and find here. It's what was the purpose that Paul had, what was the Holy Spirit's purpose in prompting Paul to pen these words in this letter to the churches of Galatia. So keep in mind the context here, and we're not going to go back through it in detail, but it's a letter where Paul is basically spending the first two chapters defending his authority, so showing that that he had the authority to preach. You'll remember he spent all that time saying, I didn't get my marching orders from the church. I'm called by Jesus to preach. I'm called by the grace of God to preach. And that's what I do is I preach the grace. He then spends chapters 3 and 4 digging into the theology of the comparison of grace and law. So he spends two chapters there. We preached last week on why the law even mattered if it was a, if it was a deal of grace. And we spoke of, of what Paul was saying about the law. But he spends three and four digging into that theology, and he's going to spend the final two chapters of Galatians talking about what you are to do as a result of the grace that you have received. And so it's kind of the application. In Paul's letters, he so often does that. He spends time setting the stage, talking about, here's the theology, here's what you need to learn, and then he spends time saying, this is what you do as a result of that theology that you have picked up. And so tonight, as we conclude chapter 4, we're going to look at Paul as he really looks to drive home his point of grace and law, as he really looks to conclude this section on the theology of grace and law, and he drives it home with kind of a, of a picture type, an illustration type closing. Uh, and so what he's going to do is he's going to use Abraham and the story of Abraham because it's something that the Galatians who were being uh, preached to by the Judaizers obviously
especially those who claim to be Jews and claim to be descendants directly of Abraham, when you mention the word Abraham, it's something that would have been important to them. It would have stood out to them. It's something that, that mattered to them. And so he's taking something such as the name of Abraham and he's using it to drive his point home about the grace of Jesus in comparison to the law of man. So let us stand, if you are able... For the reading of the Holy Word of our God from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now, nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Let us pray. Father God, God, we come before you, we ask that you would illuminate and, and, and just expose the words of your scripture that we need to hear this very evening, Lord Jesus. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be the only spirit in this place and you would bind any demon and any devil that may infiltrate our minds this very evening, Lord God. We ask that you would just remove them from this house. God, have your way and your will in this service and we will stand back and praise you for what you do. And it's in your precious, sweet, saving name that we do pray. And all God's people said, and you may be seated. And so Paul has been preaching to them that the law and grace are essentially opposites of one another. He said, uh, the ideal of law from a moral place, so the laws of God helping direct us from a moral standpoint have their purpose. So, so the, the writings of God and the teachings of God and the things that we learn from a standpoint of how we are to act as a result of our salvation. So because you've been saved by grace, you would do these things. You would act out according to this moral standard. However, what Paul is saying is that the ceremonial laws or the laws of sacrifices, the laws of things that would cause you to earn your salvation, Paul has been preaching to them that those things have no place because Jesus has come and he has perfected that law. We no longer need to have a a day of atonement where we would sacrifice and go to the priest because we have the high priest who has come and already sacrificed once and for all. And so Paul is saying that the ceremonial law has no place. Jesus has perfected those things. Uh, in his death, in his burial, in his, erect, in his resurrection. But there's kind of a natural tendency among people to get caught in the trap sometimes of trying to earn our salvation, isn't there? I mean, I think it's really kind of natural. I mean, it's bred into us from a young age, right? Uh, 
from the time I was a child, my father talked to me and he taught me what I would call was a good work ethic. And that was simply if you want something, you got to go earn it. When I said to my father, I, I, I want to buy a truck when I was about 12 years old, my father said, if you want to buy a truck when you're 16, you're going to have to earn it between now and when you turn 16. And I worked to earn the money to buy my truck. Now, I was very fortunate that my father matched me penny for penny, every dollar that I had saved. But he told me point blank, I won't give you a nickel if you don't work between now and then to get ready to buy your truck. And that's what's bred into us from a young age. If you want something, you got to work for it. And that's good in terms of material possessions. But it gives us this natural tendency to relate it to our spiritual progression as well, right? We want to say, if we want to be saved, what do we got to do to earn it? If we want salvation, what, what are the steps we have to take to earn it? And so Paul was coming on and he was preaching this, this, this gospel of grace. And the Judaizers come behind and they said, no, 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 you don't understand. Paul's preaching the gospel of grace, but it's just not that easy. You got to be a covenant son of Abraham, which means at the very least you have to go be circumcised. You've got to go mutilate your flesh at the very least in order to be, to, to be even thinking about falling under this covenant. And they thought, the, the Galatians began to think, well, this, this message that Paul was preached, maybe it is too easy. I mean, Paul came along and he said, all I have to do is repent and call upon the name of Jesus and I'll be saved. Uh, that's too easy, isn't it? And I'm reminded of a story I once heard about a pastor friend of mine who went and visited a young teenager who had been in a tragic car wreck. And he was in kind of a, a, an enclosure in the room because they wouldn't let infection in. And his parents talked the doctors into letting the pastor stick his head under the enclosure. And he said, said son, I, I know that you've never accepted Christ in your years, would you like to accept him now? And he said, what do I have to do? And he said, well, you have to repent. You have to, to repent of your sin, and you have to ask Jesus to, to cover your sin with his blood, and you have to desire to follow him all the rest of the days of your life, however long that may be. And the boy said, is it that easy? And the pastor said, well, it is for you, but it wasn't for him. He gave it all up on that cross. And that's kind of the mindset that we miss is that Jesus paid it all. And, and all to him I owe. And what are we really laying down when we say we want to follow him? Yes, it's as simple as a confession and a desire to follow him and crying out to the name of Jesus. But it's also a laying down of our own life and saying, I'm going to give up who I was to be a new creation in Christ. And so for the Galatians, when the Judaizers came along and said, well, no, here's a check. Here's a, here's a set of check marks. And if you check these off, you can fall under the new covenant. And they said, well... That's easier for me to understand than this idea of grace because I can't grasp grace. I can't understand why Jesus would save me when I didn't earn it, when I didn't do anything to get it, when I, when I didn't deserve it. And that's, we miss that sometimes in our churches today. We think we need to, to do something. We cling to the legalistic idea. I mean, the thought of legalism that word sounds pretty nasty, but it's something that plays itself out all the time in our lives. It's something that we do continuously. And the idea really with legalism, we get caught up in, 
when we're trying to, 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 to identify it, we say, well, is it, are you doing this? Are you doing this? And really, that, that's not what it's about. Legalism isn't what you're doing. It's why you're doing it. And so, so here's what I mean. We have learned so many traditions. We have so many ideals, and we say, well, you need to do this. Well, why? Well, because... And really, our mindset is that we need to do this in order to be holy. We need to do this in order to to, to serve God. We need to do this in order to somehow draw nearer to God. And really, if we're doing it to try and attain holiness, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. That's legalistic. But what Paul says is the idea is that you draw near to God, you seek His face, and then when He puts it upon you to do something, now you may be very well doing the same thing, but with a different motive. Now it's sanctifying and not legalistic. And so we've got to keep that in mind, that the difference between it is sometimes just a matter of, did you come to Jesus first? Did He press it upon your heart? Are you doing it because, well, that's what they always told you to do. That's what we've always done. And so we have to keep that in mind because the problem is when we practice legalism, we cheapen grace. And we not only do that from a theological standpoint, but we start to put other people under our beliefs and other people under our thoughts. So, So instead of holding them to the standard of the Word of God, we say, you should have done it this way because that's what I think you should have done. You should have done it that way because that's what I think you should have done. When instead... The, the Word of God should always be the buffer that we say, you should have done it this way because in Mark nine fourteen it says, you should have done it this way. And so we have to be careful that we don't put people under that because when we do that, we're practicing the same as the Judaizers. You must be circumcised to be saved. We say you must do a certain thing in order to be holy, in order to fit in. In fact, most problems in our churches, I would say... More, more often than not, the biggest problems in our churches begin with the statement, I believe that they should have. I believe that they should have. It's a thought of how you feel like someone else should have done something. And that's why Paul is writing this letter so strongly to the Galatians, because he understands that there can be no unity. There can be no unity where the law abounds. No unity can be where the law abounds. Because what happens? If my interpretation of the law and your interpretation of the law are different, we cannot be unified. But if I can say to you, we may see this differently, but by God's grace, we can move forward together. That's where unity can begin. That's where unity can move forward. And that's why it's so important to Paul. Because he knows that a house divided cannot stand. They cannot move forward if they keep looking backwards. So this is why he writes this letter to him. The first thing we're going to look at tonight is the covenant of the law. He starts here with kind of a, 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 what I would consider kind of a smart aleck question. Verse 21, he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? It's kind of Paul saying, you think that's what you want? Have at it. Let me tell you what that really means. It's kind of like when you're... Uh, Someone says, you know, you notice that someone has a problem. Maybe it's your spouse. Some of you men may have lived this before like I have. You notice that something's wrong with your spouse. And you keep saying, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And they keep giving you that nothing. 
And then you keep on until finally you get the answer, well, you're what's wrong. And you didn't really want to hear that because you didn't really want to have to fix what you did wrong. And you think, well, I'd have been better off just to have left that alone, wouldn't watch TV, wouldn't I? That's kind of what Paul's doing to him. You want to live under the law? You want to talk about how you want the law? Okay. Let me tell you what the law means exactly. He says, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by his wife, a free woman. The one of the slave woman, she was born of the flesh. That is indicative of the law. The other one was born of promise. That is indicative of grace. He says, these things are allegory in some of your translations. Some of your translations will say these things are symbolic. But basically, it means the same thing. An allegory is when you tell a story that has a different meaning from the words you're saying, basically. So what Paul is saying, we're gonna, I'm going to tell you this story. But what I want you to know as I tell it is it's going to be talking about what it, it symbolizes in the new covenant. It's going to be talking about what it means. He then starts with his statement. He says, this one of Hagar is a symbol of the bondage of law. See, the Judaizers spent so much time saying, well, we're holy because of our father Abraham. We have an inheritance because of our father Abraham, because we are the seed of Abraham. We're the true Jews. We're the only one under the covenant. The Gentiles shouldn't hear the gospel because they're not from the seed of Abraham directly. And Paul here basically says, wait a minute. Abraham was the father of two children. And the important part doesn't really fall into whether Abraham was your original seed or not, or your original father. The, the big deal is whether you're born in the bondage or whether you're born of the promise. Because if you're born of the bondage, you'll be cast away. And so it doesn't really matter that Abraham is your father. It really matters which mother you fall under. Under the free woman or under the, the slave woman? So let us remember quickly, though, this story. Because I don't want us to, I don't want to assume that everybody remembers it. So, so let's hone in on Paul's point. Remember Abram and Sarah. God promised them a child, a son. And when he didn't deliver in their time frame, the time went on, the time passed, she was getting older, he was getting older, the baby still wasn't there. I can only imagine the conversations that Abram and Sarah had. She said, are you sure you heard God right? And he said, I know I heard God right. I'm a faithful man to God. He will deliver. And she said, I think, I think you're wrong, Abram. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take my, my maidservant, Hagar, and I want you to go and be with her and I want you to have a baby for us through her. Because I don't, I don't think you understood God correctly. I don't know when God's going to try and fulfill this promise. But we need to, to go this route. And Abraham does this. And a baby is born in the completely natural way in which babies are born. It is the occasion to the T of a man taking matters into his own hands. And just having a baby the natural way. It's the example of what happens when man rejects the promises of God. When man rejects what God has promised him and goes to fulfill the will of God on their own. It's operating completely in the flesh. I mean, it's, it's the exact definition of operating in the flesh. <coughs> Keep in mind, having a son was the will of God for Abram. That was what God willed for Abram, was that he would have a son. 
Abram just went about fulfilling this will in his own way. God, you want me to have a son. I'm going to go and make me a son instead of waiting for you to give it to me. But what happens to Ishmael and Hagar? He was cast out. After Isaac was born, Ishmael was believed by Sarah to be dangerous to Isaac. And he was sent away. He's an example to us of everyone who is born only by the flesh. If you were only born by the flesh, you will be cast out. You have no place in the eternal inheritance. Remember when Jesus talked to Nicodemus. And he said, what must I do to be saved? You must be born again. How can I be born again? I can't return to my mother's womb. And he said, what? You've been born by the flesh, but you have to be born by the Spirit. And so what he's saying here is that if you're only born by the flesh, you're only born under the law, then you are going to be judged according to the law, and you cannot fulfill the law on your own. You cannot live a life good enough by the law to be reconciled to God, and you will be cast out just the same as Ishmael was cast out. He goes on to say, if you under the law, if you're a child of Hagar, then you're a child of Sinai, which is in Arabia. Now, where is Arabia? Arabia is outside of the promised land. So even a bigger picture, if you're a son of Ishmael, you have no place in the promised land. Before we move on, can I also just say that is why Ishmael and Hagar settled in Arabia. That's where all his children were born. This is why that the, to this day, there's this huge Arab-Israeli conflict over land, right? There's this huge conflict. Why? Because the children of Ishmael claim that they have a familial right to the land. And the children of Isaac who remained there claim that they have a familial inheritance to the land. And so when you hear all these people, I get tickled when I hear them talk about how they're going to make peace between the Arabs and the Israelis. It ain't going to happen. It's been messed up since the days of Hagar and Sarah. Abraham and, and Sarah really messed that one up when they took matters into their own hands. That conflict has been brewing ever since. It's when you... It's why the Islamic religion is always going to be seeking to unseat the, the country of Israel. That's why they're always going to be looking. They're trying to claim the land that they believe is theirs. We'll get into that on another night when we talk a little more about Ishmael. But he was believed to be the godfather of the Islamic religion. His children, one of his children is supposed to be the prophet Muhammad. And so you have this conflict going on between the children of the law and the children of the promise. And Paul is painting a picture here that says, <clears throat> you think you want to live under the law? That's, that's okay. Let me tell you what that means. That means you have no place in the promised land. You think you want to live under the law and under the, the Ishmael and under Hagar? That's fine, but you're going to be living in Arabia, which is outside the promised land. You're going to be living outside of heaven. You have no place in the inheritance of God because you are not going to be a true descendant of the promise. You're going to be a descendant of the law. So born of the flesh, living under the law equals bondage. But then Paul quickly touches the other side of the coin as we wrap up. He says, if you're a child of grace, then you're a child of the promise. What's this mean? Well, remember the story as it goes. So Hagar and Ishmael, uh, Hagar has Ishmael, 
And then Sarah, at 90 years old, lo and behold, the first miracle conception of sorts. And now I call it that because it's not the miracle conception like the Virgin Mary. That obviously was the perfection of miraculous conceptions. But you have Sarah at the age of 90 who is considerably past her childbearing age. I think most of you would agree that 90 is probably a little old to be having babies. My wife is pregnant at 34. They said because the baby's coming at 35, we're a high-risk pregnancy. That ain't even halfway to Sarah. Okay? Put that in your minds. Sarah's 90 years old. And a child is born to her of the promise, and that child obviously is Isaac. And it's no normal birth. It was a supernatural thing. It could not have been done without the promise of God. In verse 21, he says, The one who was barren breaks forth and has many children. And what he's talking about there is very literally the fact that Sarah had been barren for all of those years. She has a child of the promise. This child is Isaac. Through her seed... A Savior would eventually be born. And all of these people, as a result of that seed, as a result of that promise, Abraham would have more descendants than could be counted as adopted sons and daughters. That would be both the Jewish and the Greek. Both the Jews and the Gentiles that would come to know Jesus become adopted sons and descendants of Abraham. We become part of his inheritance of the promise. And then Paul starts to close up shop and says something to the Galatians that I think we really, really, really need to remember today. He says, those have received grace from Jesus and have been saved and set free. We are children of the promise. We are set free. We're not to be cast out. We're to be given the inheritance. It's ours. As sons and daughters of the grace of Jesus Christ, the inheritance is Ours. But the best part is we're no longer under the bondage of law. We've been set free. Paul uses this story to paint a very, very simple picture. He went about it a, a difficult way, but it's a simple picture really. He says this, there's not really... I said there's no two ways about it. And by that I meant... Obviously, there are two choices. Live under the law and have no inheritance. Live under the grace and be set free. But really, in order to live a life of freedom, there are no two ways about it. The only way to be set free is by the grace of Jesus Christ. The only way to be set free. Now, I'm preaching to the choir tonight. You come back to church on Sunday night. You love Jesus with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, and all your strength. You know the Lord as your Savior. But how many times do we do things without buffering them against that question? What is my motivation for doing this? Am I doing this because I love God? Or am I doing that to try and earn the love of God? Because I got news for you. What Paul says to us here is if we're sons and daughters of Jesus, we've already got the love of God. Our motivation should always be to do things because we love God. You can't make God love you more. You can't do enough good to make Him love you more, and guess what? You can't do enough bad to make Him love you less. 
Because when he looks at you, if you're a son and daughter of his, he sees Jesus already. Because if he saw you, you'd have no hope. But the grace of Jesus says, you have been set free. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we stand before you. God, we just ask you to impress upon our hearts the areas of our life, Lord, that we don't give to you properly, Lord. God, press upon our lives the things that we do to somehow feel like we're earning your love, Lord God, and press upon us a desire to just serve you because you are God. God, show us these things in our lives, Lord. And help us to be willing to change, Lord God, that we, like Paul, would stand and preach nothing but the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing but the grace of Jesus Christ and that we would be truly free. And God, if there be someone here this evening who came into your house tonight, maybe they thought they were saved when they got here, but they've thought about grace and law and they've realized they just checked a bunch of check marks. God, press upon their heart the realization that they don't truly know you, Lord Jesus, and your grace. And give them the courage to stand up and say, I may have been in church my whole life, but I've never really embraced the grace of Jesus Christ this very evening. God, it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.